Sometimes you just can't wait to do what someone says, can you? Uh, the eager dog who always ready to do whatever their master says, the uh, willing soldiers who will die for their commanding officer, the kindergarten student who just wants to do whatever their new big teacher says, the uh, smitten, love-struck young man who's ready to do whatever the love of his life wants. Sometimes we just can't wait to do what someone says. Now, the person who wrote Psalm 119 has that attitude towards what God says. Uh, Here's just two examples from that psalm. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. The psalmist, he craves the commands of God. He can't wait to do what God says. Now, why does he think like that? What is it about God that the psalmist knows so that he delights in obeying God's commands? Well, this morning's the last of our talks on God relating to us by his word. And uh, this morning we're thinking about God relating to us by ordering us around, by telling us what to do, by speaking to us with words of authority. Now, people often associate uh, being ordered around with tyranny and with being squashed, but the Bible's very clear that living under the rule of God, that's fantastic. Since God is God and God is good, well, it's a delight to obey God. And so like the psalmist, we are to crave the commands of God. We need to leave here this morning eager to do what God says, as commanded to us in his word. Now, the reason God's commands are so wonderful is because they're God's commands. It's because God is so good that his commands are so good. So before we look at what he actually says, the first thing we need to do is look at who God is. So who is he? Well, we've actually been looking at it the last couple of weeks. And I'm hoping that you've enjoyed the exploration of God's word to discover who God is, if you can remember. Uh, um, I actually started this series three weeks ago in early church and evening church, so you missed the first talk in this series. And if you get keen, you can download that off the website. But in that first talk, we had a look at God being our creator, that by his word, God made everything. He is our maker. He is our owner. He is our ruler because he made us. And he hasn't just made us physically, he's also made us spiritually. He's given us new birth through his word of the gospel, given us eternal life in Christ. God has graciously made us. He owns us. Of course we'll do what he says. Two weeks ago we looked at God being more than just our creator. He's not just the God out there. He's personally revealed himself to us, even became one of us, took on flesh, He walked and talked just like we do. He even let himself die like we do. And at the cross, God reveals himself most fully. Uh, In the death of the Lord Jesus, we see the the full extent of God's justice and his forgiveness, his anger and his mercy, the full extent of God's judgment and his compassion. In Christ Jesus, God has made himself known so that we might know him. But not just that we know him, as mind-blowing as that is, but in Christ God's also revealed his plan to us so that we'd partner him, so that we could be involved in his work. And so God's flooded our lives with meaning. God's given us direction and purpose, reason to live, things to work towards, uh, a way of understanding life so that we can truly live 
in all of life, partnering him in bringing all things under the rule of Christ. Amongst other things, Christianity is a wonderfully vibrant, creative and purpose-filled life. Living in obedience to God is just part of this full life that God's brought us into. And then last week we had a look at God wonderfully coming to us with words of promise. That God promises to save us and to give us eternal life. He promises us in Christ uh, to, to keep us in Jesus throughout all our troubles so that he'll fulfill his promise that he will bring us safely home into his eternal rest. It's our caring, loving, heavenly father that demands our obedience. And we wouldn't want it any other way. So in summary, uh, who is God that we'd obey him? Well, he's our maker, our owner, our ruler, who revealed himself even to death, that we might know him, be on board with his plans. He's the God who promises to save us and forgive us and make us his beloved people with a guarantee of eternal life in his new creation. When you know this God, oh, we can't wait to do what he says. We don't obey God out of guilt. We don't obey God out of some legalistic attempt to try and make God happy with us, desperately trying to be good enough for him. No, we obey God because he's God and he's good. He's good. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. So if you haven't got that open up, uh, please open it up already. Our Bible reading was from verse 9. I just want to very quickly head back to verse 1. Uh, because Paul here in uh, verse 1 says, basically, since God's good... Do what he says. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see, it's in view of God's mercy. It's in view of the fact that the God of the universe has pardoned your sin. It's in view of the fact that he's made you his child. He's declared you innocent in his sight, it's in view of God's mercy that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It's because God's good that we do what he says. And then from verse 9, our Bible reading, Paul begins to spell out, well, what does God say? And he gives a long list of instructions on how we're to live in, in obedience to God. And look, there are so many places in the New Testament where it's spelled out for us how we're to respond to God's goodness. To God's goodness. As we look at Romans 12, we're just looking at one example of many. And as we do, what we're going to discover is that it's not only that God's good, it's that his commands are too. It's an exceptional thing to have and obey the word of God. I'm going to read from verse 9. And as I do, what I want you to do is picture what life would be like if everyone lived like this. What world would we enjoy if everyone lived according to the few commands that we have in these verses. So Romans 12 and verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. That's not a bad start to a new world, is it? Just two verses. But imagine a world where everyone hates what is evil, clings to what is good, and honours one another above themselves. There'd be no more pedophiles, no more adultery, no more murder, no more unrighteous anger, no more deceit, no more malice, no more trampling over others in order to get what you want. But there'd be plenty of love, plenty of unselfishness, 
There'll be people looking after other interests and not just their own. People devoted to what is right and what is noble. Does that sound good? Roughly? Yes, thank you, Earl. I got a nod and I got a yes. That's great. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. So to the goodness of verses 9 and 10, we add people refusing to be stingy. No greed, no selfish hoarding, but instead ample generosity. People generous with their time and their wealth. And there'd be no laughing at someone else's expense, no delight in someone else's demise. Instead, there'd be genuine friendship, a safe sharing of life together in its highs and its lows. Authentic love given and received. Are you liking that? Yes? It's not bad, is it? Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Man, I love this stuff. The commands of God, they're like jewels, aren't they, in the crown of God's rule? Live according to these commands of God and we'd have no clicks, no snobbery, no niggling, no paying back wrong for wrong, no looking down on others, but instead we'd have equality where our social standing would have no bearing on the way in which we relate to one another and we'd have peace, harmonious friendships where people genuinely seek the best interests of other people. Surely this is a world you would want to live in. And we're just scratching the surface of these verses, let alone the rest of God's word. The commands of God, they're good. They're very good. It's not just that God's good and we can't wait to do what he says, but his commands are good. And so we can't wait to do what he says. In my later teenage years before I left home, I had a really good relationship with my dad. And dad was in charge. It was his house, his rules, and there was absolutely no mistake about that. And it was great. It was fantastic. Dad loved us. And getting in and doing what he said we had to do, it was always good for us. As a child, under his roof and rule, it was good to receive Dad's love and care. And as the children of God, under his rule, it's good to receive his love and care. God's good. He's good. We can't wait to do what he says. But it's not always like that, is it? Sometimes obeying God's commands is quite hard. We don't always find it a delight. And that's because of sin. Sin makes obeying God difficult, and it does it in at least two ways. First, there's our own sinful nature that we have to battle with. Sin tries to convince us that God's word is a burden that actually you would be better off if you just looked after yourself and didn't worry about anybody else. And so every now and again we find ourselves coming up with excuses and trying to negotiate our way out of things. But I'm I'm so lonely. This is the 21st century. Haven't we moved on? God just doesn't understand how difficult this person is. Obeying God may be hard at times, but it is always the good and the right thing to do. Let's not listen to the lies of sin and try and negotiate our way out of things. We need to keep our trust in God and his goodness 
and do what he says. But it's not only our own sin that makes obeying God difficult. Other people's sin makes obedience to God hard. When people around us act in sinful ways, that can make it hard for you and I to obey God. So, for example, it's hard to be patient when the kids are just frustrating you no end. I know that one firsthand. It's difficult to love your husband or your wife when the love's died out of your marriage or if they simply let you down and you're disappointed in them. It's hard to keep seeking the best interests of your friend when they've hurt you. It can be difficult to get along with everyone at school. It can be hard not to gossip when that person really is such a pig. It's tiring to keep on loving people who are just so self-centered. Obeying God's command, it's good, but it can be hard, can't it? And so we need to keep our trust in God. He made us. He owns us. He rules us. He saved us. He cares for us. And he calls us to the good life of love and peace and generosity and friendship and all that is noble and right. God is God and God is good. So we can't wait to do what he says. Now, as we think about God and his authoritative word to us, we also need to remember that God's commands are not negotiable. Not that we want them negotiable. They're so good. Who who would want to fiddle with them? Who would want to change them? But very often in his word, God reminds us that he's in charge of us. God takes our attitude to his word very seriously. There is to be no picking and choosing the bits you like and then forgetting the bits you don't. No, God relates to us with authoritative words And to choose disobedience is to invite the judgment of God. Uh, Many times in the Old Testament, God told Israel that because she had spurned the word of God and rejected his law, they would die. Uh, As an example, in Isaiah chapter 5, God said that their dead bodies would lie like rubbish in the streets. And that God would make this happen because they refused to obey his commands and God came good on his word. He sent the Babylonians and the Assyrians and they laid waste to Israel. God sent them to destroy because Israel refused to obey God's word. And in case you think this is just an Old Testament thing, uh, up on the screen, will they come? No, they won't. I need you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul here warns the Christians in Ephesus that those who reject the commands of God, they will have no part in the kingdom of Christ, but they will receive the wrath of God. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. It's a very clear warning, isn't it? If you choose to partner the world in its immorality and its greed and its impurity, if you indulge yourself in godless living, don't be deceived. You will not have 
any part of the kingdom of Christ because God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. And we need to be careful with this because every now and again you hear this idea, you know, God forgives sin, so it doesn't matter what I do. He'll forgive me anyway. I can just do what I want. That idea is a deception. People who want this sort of, you know, get out of jail free card with God where you can just use and abuse him as if he's like some old man that you can just take advantage of, to to treat God like that, that is extreme foolishness. God can't be mocked. You can't take God for a fool. Is there anyone here called Philip? That's fantastic. Okay. I want you to imagine there's someone here called Philip and he comes up to me over morning tea and he rips the watch off my wrist and he smashes it on the ground. But then he immediately apologizes and says, oh, I don't know what came over me. Oh, please forgive me. And me being the really nice person I am, I forgive him. Next week. He comes over to me at morning tea and Philip does the same thing to my new watch that I just bought during the week. He smashes it too, but he immediately apologises and me, being the nice person I am, I forgive him again. And then the next week, it all happens again. And as we stare at my third disintegrated watch, Philip fumbles some apology about thinking I was someone else and me being the gullible person I am, I forgive him again. But the next week... When it happens the fourth time around, I finally see through him. I see that Philip's taking me for a ride and he's just having fun at my expense. And so I draw the line. No more forgiveness for you, Philip. No more pretending that you're serious when you apologise. The friendship's broken. No more taking me for a fool. You can't ask me to forgive you and all you want to do is keep smashing my watches. Now, do you think for a moment we could play this sort of game with God? Of course we can't. God can't be mocked. You can't take God for a fool. We can't ask God to forgive us of our sins if all we want to do is keep on sinning. As Paul says, the immoral, the impure and the greedy have no part in the kingdom of God. You can't ask God to forgive you if all you want to do is keep on disobeying him. Again, as Paul says, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. If Philip was serious about asking me for forgiveness for smashing my watch, well, then he's not going to come the next week, is he? And want to smash my next watch, is he? If we're serious about asking God to forgive us of our sins, well, then we're not going to come the next time and want to repeat our sins all over again. Now, at this point, we need to be clear that God knows we won't be perfect. Uh, In Ephesians 5, have a look at it in verse 7. In Ephesians 5, we're told not to be partners with the immoral, the impure, and the greedy. In other words, we're not to be united with them in this lifestyle. We don't join in headlong with the rest of the world. We don't indulge the sinful nature. No, as God's people, we're the ones who fight the sinful nature. Because God hasn't completely removed our sinful natures, he knows we won't be perfect this side of the new creation. But he has given us his spirit. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's renewing our minds. We understand something of who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus. That he made us and he saved us and he cares for us and he loves us and that he only wants what's best for us and his commands are great for us. It breaks our hearts to do anything that's against our Heavenly Father. We know that God is God and that God is good and so we can't wait 
to do what he says. And we also need to remember that the commands of God, they're just the tip of the iceberg. Obedience to God, that's just the beginning. There's so much more to the Christian life. There's his whole plan of the kingdom of Christ that we're called on to live for and we're to be as enthusiastic as we can be for the cause of Christ. Christian living is a vibrant, creative, purpose-filled life. Not to say that obedience to God is small fry or unimportant, certainly not, but I just want us to remember the depth of the Christian life that we've been thinking of these last few weeks. And not to leave here this morning thinking that Christianity is just a list of do's and don'ts. Now the do's and don'ts of Christianity are outstanding. As we thought before, what God commands, it's fantastic, it's precious. We can't wait to do what he says. Like the person who wrote Psalm 119, we can say, I delight in your commands because I love them. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. And yet there's so much more to living the Christian life. But the tip of the iceberg is this. God is God and God is good. So we can't wait to do what he says. Can't wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are God. You alone rule the heavens and the earth. And thank you that you are good. And we see this so clearly in your Son, that he would become flesh and he would die a humiliating and terrifying death for our sakes, that we would receive your compassion and your faithfulness, and your love, and your forgiveness. Father, it is a delight to be brought to you as one of your people by your Son, Jesus. And Father, help us to uh, remember again just what a good thing it is to live for you, to be under your rule, under your care. And so we pray that by your Spirit, we would do well at living obediently to you, with glad and humble hearts, seeking to bring you glory for the sake of Jesus. Amen.